0: Well, it's a pleasure and um, a privilege to be involved in the carol service um, this evening. and I wonder if carols do for you what carols sometimes do for me, because they remind me of um, some snowy scenes as a teenager, going from door to door, knocking on people's doors, hoping for a mince pie, even better, something chocolatey. They remind me of that. And they also remind me of a story I once heard of three men who died on Christmas Eve and were met by St. Peter at the pearly gates. In honour of this holy season, St. Peter said, you must each possess something that symbolises Christmas to get into heaven. So the first man fumbled around in his pockets and he pulled out a lighter, he flicked it on. It represents a candle, he said. Peter said, you may pass through the pearly gates. Second man stepped forward, reached into his pocket, pulled out some keys which he jangled. These represent bells, he said. Peter said, okay, you may pass through the pearly gates. The third man was desperately searching through his pockets and eventually pulled out a pair of women's glasses. So Peter looked at the man with raised eyebrows and said, and what do these represent? And he said, they're carols. (laughs) And that's why you've paid good money to be here this evening. That is exactly why. Now, (laughs) there are... Two books I almost always reach for at this time of the year. One I always reach for, which is the Bible, which I believe to be the word of God and a faithful, reliable record of the historical events that took place in and around Bethlehem in the first century. But there is another book that I often reach for as well, which record the historical events that took place in and around the infant schools in the Yorkshire Dales in the 20th century, as observed by a certain school inspector. And on one occasion, the local vicar was taking part, uh, taking part of one of the lessons, and the children were talking excitedly about the presents that they were hoping to get and the vicar was trying to steer them towards the true meaning of Christmas. Children, children, he said, it's not just about the presents, it's really a celebration of a birthday. It's about the birth of a very special baby. And one little boy piped up, I know where it were called. The vicar interlaced his long fingers beneath his chin in an attitude of a child praying, and smiled. I'm very glad to hear it, he said, in that solicitous and kindly tone, often possessed by men of the cloth. (laughs) It were called Wayne, the child told him. Wayne? Certainly not, what a thought, cried the vicar in mock horror. It were, cried the boy, undeterred, Babby were called Wayne. Uh, no, it wasn't called Wayne, said the vicar, his jaw tightening and his voice quivering a little. The baby was called Jesus. It were Wayne, persisted the child, nodding vigorously. Jesus, snapped the vicar. Wayne, re- 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 repeated the child. I know, cause we all sang about it in assembly. A Wayne in a manger, no crib for a bed. Did you like that one? Five out of ten. Five out of ten, okay. Well, that manger and the baby in it would be the sign that the shepherds, um, to the shepherds, confirming that, as it said in one of those readings, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. But before we get to the saviour in the manger in Bethlehem, Luke first tells us about the saviour in the palace in Rome. Because Luke begins his second chapter, uh, as we've heard, with these words which were read to us earlier. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Augustus sounds big, doesn't it? Augustus. And he was, in many respects, a big guy, apart from his stature. He was only a little fella. To be fair, most people seem quite little to me. But he was only five foot seven. But in other respects, he was a huge figure, a giant of history. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and he became the first emperor of the Roman Empire, reigning from 27 BC until AD 14. His reign laid the foundations of a regime that lasted in one form or another for nearly 1,500 years through the ultimate decline of Western Europe uh, and until the fall of Constantinople in 1453. His adoptive name, Caesar, and his title, Augustus, became the permanent titles of the rulers of the Roman Empire for 14 centuries after his death. In many languages, Caesar became the word for emperor, as in the German Kaiser or the Russian Tsar. His reign initiated the famous Pax Romana, that period of peace that the ancient world enjoyed. He developed an extensive road network and an official courier system. In all sorts of ways, he left a huge footprint on history. He declared his father, Julius Caesar, to be divine and therefore, by implication, the son of God. And Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. Now, um, we put our hope in world rulers, don't we? A few days ago, we, I don't say we, but we as in the people of the United Kingdom, voted in a new prime minister. We are hoping he is going to save us, save our NHS, save our schools, save our economy, save us uh, from street crime, save us from being ostracized in Europe, and so on. We put our hope in world leaders, but even the great Augustus, even the immense Augustus, a huge figure of history, gets no more than a passing reference in the nativity story. And he's only mentioned because God uses him to achieve his purposes to fulfill a prophecy spoken 700 years earlier by the prophet Micah, who said, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So Augustus issued his decree. Joseph and Mary went to Joseph's ancestral home, Bethlehem, where he was required to register, and there Jesus was born, fulfilling a prophecy from 700 years earlier. Remarkable. Augustus might have been the saviour of the world to the Romans, but to Luke, he is an instrument for God's purposes. Luke's not really interested in the saviour in Rome. Luke is interested in the saviour in Bethlehem. Now each year we hear the uh, Christmas narratives read to us and because they are so familiar, they can just wash over us and we can forget how remarkable Jesus' birth actually was. Let me ask, I can just about make, make out people's hands here in the dark. Um, has anyone been to Israel? A few. Keep your hands up if you've been to Israel in the winter maybe one or two, and in the winter, and you're pregnant. <laughs> uh, no, no men with their hands left up. No, in fact, nobody, nobody has their hand left up. Well, let me do, um, let me attempt to describe the journey very briefly to you. So from the highlands of Galilee, 70 miles or more south along the Jordan River, West over the hills surrounding Jerusalem and on into Bethlehem, uphill and downhill. So Mary is heavily pregnant. So let's say 10 miles a day, possibly, carrying everything that they needed for the journey over unpaved hilly trails during the harsh winter days The weather is miserable, at night time it is freezing. Now, I can't speak for you, but for me, after a five-mile walk on a sunny day in December, I'm looking forward to a nice, warm, cosy lounge, some mulled wine, some shortbread biscuits, and maybe some other form of festive cheer. And I'm not nine months pregnant. What do Joseph and Mary get at the end of their journey? On the night of one nativity performance, Mary and Joseph arrived at the inn and knocked loudly on the door. The innkeeper, who'd been denied the role of Joseph and who had remained grumpy all through the rehearsals, opened the door with a great beaming smile. Innkeeper, innkeeper, Joseph began. We've travelled many miles in the darkness and the cold. May we come in? She can come in, the innkeeper said, pulling Mary through the door, but you can push off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they didn't get that reception exactly. They didn't quite get that reception, but they weren't ushered onto a red carpet leading to a five-star hotel either, were they? Mary we had read to us, wrapped her baby in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Some time ago I wrote down these words but I didn't record the source. So uh, apologies to whoever wrote them but this is what he or she said. The Messiah has arrived. Joseph and Mary sit exhausted, silent, full of wonder the baby sighs, the divine word reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. Then for the first time his eyes fix on his mother's, deity straining to focus, the light of the world squinting. Tears pool in Mary's eyes, she touches his tiny hand and hands that once sculpt mountain ranges cling to her finger. She looks up at Joseph, and through a watery veil, their souls touch. Together, they stare in awe at the baby Jesus, whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It's been a long journey. The king is tired. And so, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity. Without protocol and without pretension, Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys, a few halted cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a furtive scurry of curious barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one to share Mary's pain or her joy. Yes, there were angels announcing the Saviour's arrival, but only to a band of blue-collar shepherds. And yes, a magnificent star shone in the sky to mark his birthplace, but only three foreigners bothered to look up and follow it. Thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, that one silent night, the royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly by as the world slept. Isn't it astonishing to think that the saviour of the world entered this world so humbly? You know, if royalty came to Chichester, the place would be tidied up, security measures put in place, the best accommodation, the best food laid on, and so forth. But amazingly, unexpectedly, Nothing is laid on, it seems, for the savior of the world. Although maybe as we look back now in hindsight, it's not that surprising. Maybe it's not that unexpected that the one who left the glory of heaven to come to earth in the first place should go the whole way and be born in the most humble of circumstances. But what does it all mean? Is this just some fanciful made-up story or did it really happen? And if so, why? What was it all about? Well, we should be in no doubt that it actually happened. The fact that today is uh, December the 15th, 2019, 2019 years or so after the event, is one of many pointers to the fact that we are talking about history, not fantasy. But what does it mean? And that brings us to the saviour in Chichester. I wonder if that phrase sounds a bit odd to you, the saviour in Chichester, what does that mean? Well, in Matthew's gospel, we, we read that the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph and told him, "'You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. So the angel is telling Joseph, you are to give him the name the Lord saves because he will save the people from their sins. Now the Jews of the first century were expecting a savior, but someone who would deliver them from the power and the might of Rome. This wasn't the saviour they were expecting. So what kind of a saviour was he? A couple of months ago to the day, in fact, I stumbled across something um, one of our group of teenagers had been doing um, in the church, and I took a sneaky photo. Um, Now, it was on flip chart paper, so to make it a bit clearer... Um, I'm going to present what I saw on the screen. Uh, I've anonymized it, so fear not if you are part of this group. Um, but it was called, and I wonder if, uh, if Andy remembers this, it was called the graph of amazingness, or perfection in brackets. Now I'm sure they were having a bit of fun with this, but this is what they drew. They, they drew, they wrote down people's names and then gave them scores out of 10. So as I say, I've, I've anonymized some of these. So um, some. So there was a young person who was given a very harsh score of two. No doubt by her, her, his or her peers. And next was Andy Morgan. Oh. Any guesses, anyone? One and a half. <laughs> Five. 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 <laughs> Third was Hitler. Null point. Fourth was our new Prime Minister, who wasn't the Prime Minister then. He only scored two. Fifth was Ken. Oh, our senior minister. I think we ought to have a drum roll at this point. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Seven. Oh. Then we had another young person, three, and then finally, Jesus, 10 out of 10. In the movie Superman Returns, Lois Lane says, the world doesn't need a saviour and neither do I. And she's expressing what I guess uh, many of us think, even if we haven't said it out loud, that we don't need any help, thank you, we can get by, we're we're good enough, we're strong enough, we're big enough, we can sort it. But only Jesus scores 10 out of 10. The rest of us do need a saviour because we don't reach 10 out of 10. Nothing you do or say will get you into the kingdom of God. At the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he says these words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So what Jesus is saying is this, it's not what you say that matters. It's neither here nor there if you call yourself a Christian. Actually, it's not what you do that matters. It's neither here nor there that you're a miracle worker. Jesus says that what matters most is that he knows you. And then, whether you do his father's will. He said uh, the same thing in a very succinct way on another occasion when he said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. What matters more than anything else is knowing God and knowing his son, Jesus Christ. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that is the reason Jesus is the savior in Chichester, because he can be known by us today. That Jesus in the manger, who grew up to be the Jesus that healed the sick and taught and preached good news to the poor in spirit, who went on to be the Jesus who died on the cross to take away our sins, and the Jesus who rose from the dead, the Jesus who now this evening is calling to us just like he did to those first disciples and saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And as we take our first faltering steps to follow Jesus, something amazing happens. We didn't sing it today, but in one of our well-known carols, we find these words, O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Not be born to us, as I've read recently. The original says be born in us today. Because what the hymn writer is talking about is a spiritual birth. Another birth taking place. Not a physical birth in a manger, but a spiritual rebirth in the depth of someone's being, bringing God's new life, saving a soul from death. Jesus, the saviour, living in me. And that surely is the most surprising thing of all when we think about Christmas. Of all the unexpected aspects of the Christmas story, God sending his son Jesus coming as a baby, his care by an ordinary peasant girl, his birth in humble circumstances, and more. Surely, when we look at all of those things, the most unexpected aspect of all is that God wanted to rescue us in the first place. God wanted to save us. And that is the why of Christmas because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So I want to leave you with this thought. In the coming days, um, there's gonna be a lot of stuff that's pretty predictable. There's going to be the food and the presents and the family and it's a wonderful life and Christmas crackers and more. In the midst of all of this familiar stuff, all of this expected stuff, may you be surprised by the unexpected saviour. Not just come to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but come to Chichester. Born in you today, this month, maybe even this evening. This is the why of Christmas. And if you'd like to find out more, do speak to any one of us um, about it. Um, But we have some of these booklets called Why Christmas um, on the information desk to my left, to your right, as you go out. If you'd like to understand, more about the whole reason behind Christmas than to take one of these, they're free to, to take away.